I was reading about the Day of Atonement in the book of Leviticus. One day every year, all the Israelites were cleansed of their sins. Aaron had a long and serious day of priestly work to do. He had to enter the sanctuary area with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Then he had to bathe with water and put on his sacred garments. From the Israelite community, he had to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron had to offer the bull for his own sin offering. After that, he presented the two goats before the Lord and cast lots to see which one would be sacrificed and which one would be the scapegoat. Next, it's time to slaughter the bull, his sin offering. Then he offers fragrant incense to the Lord. The smoke from the incense concealed the atonement cover so Aaron wouldn't die. He then slaughtered the goat for the sin offering of the people. He took some of the goat's blood and sprinkled it on the atonement cover and in front of the atonement cover, just as he had done with the bull's blood. When Aaron made atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he brings out the scapegoat. He lays both hands on the head of the goat and confesses all wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the head of the goat. Then he sends the goat deep into the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all the people's sins to a solitary place and then be released in the desert. God used a goat to carry away the sins of his people. The atonement had to be completed once a year, every year, year after year, until the time was right. But there was a permanent solution in the works. In Isaiah 53, 6, we read, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. No more goats in the future of his people. Sometimes I think we get to the point where we don't even notice we've sinned. I've been there. Hopefully, the Holy Spirit comes along and does rest on us, like the song we sang earlier. Poking and prodding and turns things back the right direction. I have to wonder what it would feel like for Jesus, a man who knew no sin, to have all our sin, past, present, and future, dumped on his head. Was the weight of sin worse than the crucifixion itself? For Jesus, I suspect it was. It was the perfect sacrifice planned from the beginning of time to be completed only once. Our path 
to the Father is through Jesus. That's why we're here this morning to remember our Savior, Jesus. Let us pray. Praise you, Father. The engineer of a perfect universe with the perfect plan to save us. Thank you for your son, Jesus. The indescribable gift, our Savior. In Jesus' most precious name, I pray. When your heart's ready, emblems are at each corner of the room. <clears throat> uh, I don't know how many of you watched the A-Team. Uh, I love it when a plan comes together. I just, I love it when God orchestrates things in just in amazing ways. And, you know, I loved everything that Denise said this morning. And amazingly enough, everything she said is exactly uh, where we're going to be this morning. So it's just amazing when God does that. Because to me, there is nothing better than a solid testimony. A testimony of, of how God has changed somebody's life and has done amazing things and have changed their lives. You know, I, I just love stories of, of testimony. And you know, I'm an apologetics guy. I, I love apologetics. I, I love the study of facts. I love the study of logic. I love the study of you know, how do we know that these things exist, and how do we know that these things were actually true, and how do we know all this? But there is something about human emotion and experience that is an apologetic in itself to hear somebody's story and to say, you know, I don't know how this happened. I, I don't know why this happened, but all I know is the reason it happened is because God allowed this to happen, and God did this in my life. And there's just something amazing about that. And what's funny to me is you hear people say from time to time, I don't have a good story, right? Like, I don't know if you've ever heard that. I've heard people say that like, man, I, I've heard this person's testimony and I've heard this person's story and my story is just kind of vanilla. It's just kind of plain. I, I grew up in a, a Christian home. I went to church my whole life and, and, and that's my story. And my story is just boring, but here's the thing, every single one of us in this room this morning, we all have the same story. We all share the same story. Everything about our story is the same. The details may be a little different, but the story in itself is all the same. It doesn't matter your background, it doesn't matter how you grew up, it doesn't matter what has happened in your life, you share the same story as everybody else sitting around you this morning. There's something amazing about our story, about our testimony. And so this morning we're continuing our study in the book of Acts, and if you have your Bible, we're in Acts 22, Acts chapter 22, or you can follow us along on a U version. And Acts chapter 22 is one of, if not my favorite speech that Paul gives in the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 22, you see Paul being just who he is, a master at communication, a master at, at knowing who he's talking to, at understanding the people to which he is communicating with. Paul was a master at this. And in Acts chapter 22, Paul is going to share his story. He's going to share his testimony. He's going to share what has happened in his life. And it's amazing because as we read Paul's testimony, we can see that our story is the same as his. Our story is exactly like his, and, and our details may be different than Paul's, but our stories are the same. And we're going to see this morning that no matter what your testimony, it's important to remember our story. And so we're going to start in Acts chapter 21, verse 37. 
and go down into verse 5. And it starts with this. It says, As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, May I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Sicilia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. After receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and he motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As the high priest and all the council can themselves testify, I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. And so, uh, if you recall, last week in Acts chapter 21, we see Paul is on this collision course heading to Jerusalem. He is trying to get to Jerusalem because he wants to make it there in time for Pentecost. And so, he's on his way to Jerusalem, and the people are encouraging him, don't go to Jerusalem. You know what's waiting there for you. You are going to be persecuted. You are going to be arrested. Please don't go to Jerusalem. But Paul was like, guess what? I got to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to go. I have to. God is calling me. God is willing me to go to Jerusalem. I have to go, and I have to tell the the Jews about what God has done in the life of the Gentiles, and I've got to connect these groups, and, and, and I've just got to. I've got to go to Jerusalem. And so he goes to Jerusalem, and he meets with the church at Jerusalem, and we find out that the are There are the Jews who are the circumcised Jews, and they're spreading lies about Paul. Paul is telling people they don't have to worry about the law. He's he's saying all these things, and and Paul's like, "That's, that's not what actually is happening. Paul himself never said anything bad about the law. He simply said the law doesn't save you. It's not the law that saves you. It's one name, Jesus, is the only one who can save you. The law is not bad. It's not a lifeline. It's not the thing that saves you. And so, uh, while he's going there and he's in the uh, temple or in the synagogue, they come and they, they say, oh, hey, you know, Paul brought this man who is a Gentile into the temple, and that's not, that's not right. He can't do that. And, of course, that wasn't what actually happened. And so, the people go after him. And they, he ends up being arrested because all these people are stirring controversy and the commander comes out and he can't figure out what's going on. And so they arrest him. And now Paul is going to give his address. He's going to speak to the crowd. He's going to speak to the people. And he is going to share his testimony with the people. And what's so amazing about this address that Paul is going to give to the people is Paul understanding who he's talking to. He's talking to the Jews. He's talking to, uh, you know, people who he wouldn't have to know how to address them. And so he's going to give this testimony with a lot of Jewish flavor. A lot of the things he says is going to show he knows what he's talking about. And so uh, he goes up to the steps and he motions to the crowd And when they're silent, he begins to speak to them in Aramaic. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. And when they heard that he was speaking in Aramaic, they became quiet. First of all, the way he starts this address is absolutely amazing because he starts this address the exact same way, the exact same way that Stephen starts his speech in Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 8. He starts his speech the exact same way. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. I'm guessing Stephen's speech must have made an impact on Paul. Remember, Paul was there and gave his approval to uh, Stephen being stoned. He was there that day. It must have made some kind of impact on him. And it says he began to speak to them in Aramaic. And so they begin to become very quiet and listen. 
This is important that he's speaking in, lang- er, in Aramaic. Aramaic was the language that an Orthodox Jew would use. Remember, there's two types of uh, speaking Jews at this time. There's the Greek-speaking Jews, and there's the Orthodox Aramaic-speaking Jews. And so he speaks in Aramaic to let them know, hey, I am an Orthodox Jew. I am a Jew. There is no doubt about that. And so he speaks them in Aramaic, and they listen. And then he goes down the list and he starts listing out his credentials. He says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus. So he's born in Tarsus. Tarsus, even though he was not brought up in Tarsus, he was born in Tarsus. And Tarsus itself was an important place. Tarsus was an education center throughout this er, throughout you know the area. It was a uh, center of education. Many educators would come to teach in Tarsus. And so it was a well-educated place. He says that he was brought up in Jerusalem. He knew Jerusalem well. He he was brought up in Jerusalem. He knew the Jews in Jerusalem. It says he studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. The fact that he learned under Gamaliel would be like he was learning under somebody who had their Ph.D. in the law. This man was one of the most respected rabbis at the time. A matter of fact, uh, he was one of, uh, six, or one of seven rabbis who had this title of an authority as a rabbi. He was one of the most well-known, most respected rabbis. And so for Paul to learn under this man, he was learning from a master and he was learning from somebody who was well-respected. It would have been an honor and a privilege for Paul to learn under this man. And he knew the law of our ancestors because of who he studied under. And then he says, I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. This is kind of a compliment that he's giving. Hey, your zeal is strong. Your zeal is strong for God, uh, just as my zeal was strong. And then here's how strong my zeal was for God. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death. I arrested men and women. Uh, The high priest and the council gave me letters that I could go into Damascus, arrest these people, and bring them to Jerusalem to be punished. His zeal was so strong that he believed that these people who were following Christ were uh, spreading lies. They weren't uh, doing what God would want them to do. So he was going to do what God would want them to do. And so he's going to catch, he's going to get these people. He's going to arrest them. He's going to kill them. He is going to make life miserable for them. And he did this all under the guise of, I am zealous for God. This is how much I love God. I am going to do these things for God. You see here, Paul is doing two things with this, and this is pretty amazing. The first thing he's doing is he's reminding everybody that he is a Jew, I am a Jew. I'm an Orthodox Jew. I was, I, was born in Ra- I was born in Tarsus, but I was raised here in Jerusalem. I studied under Gamaliel. I knew the law inside and out. I had a zeal for God. If there's anything that you guys need to know about me, I am a Jew. I understand all of this very well. The second reason he mentions all these things is to list out his credentials. If anybody has any reason to talk, if anybody has any reason for zeal, it's him. Look at all of my credentials. A matter of fact, he says these things in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. He says, though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, In regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul had every reason, every reason to to boast in in what he had, his, his upbringing, his background, his study of the law, his zeal, all of it. He had every reason to boast. The problem is these credentials mean nothing. These credentials, they mean absolutely nothing. And they mean nothing because Paul was really on the opposite side of God. He thought everything he was doing was right. He thought everything he was doing was for zeal. He thought he had every credential, and yet he's living life on the opposite side of God. 
And you see, I think Paul starts his testimony off here with who he was. And for us, this is a reminder that we need to remember who we were. Who we were. You see, I mentioned earlier, all of our stories are the same. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter the life you've lived. It doesn't matter because your story is all the same. The details may be different, but our story is all the same. And our stories all start with this, who we were. Our story starts with who we were before God, before God came into our lives, before God saved our lives. Before that, it was who we were. And Paul would soon see that he was somebody who was in need of a Savior. All of his credentials, all of the things that he put stocking, all the things that he could boast about, these credentials don't matter because he needed a Savior. And you see, the sad thing is, is today there are so many people who believe that your credentials are enough. Your credentials are enough. Everything you've accomplished is enough. You don't need anything else. As long as you've got all those accolades, that's all you need. There are some who say that just simply being good is enough. Everything I do, I help those who are in need. I help those who are hurting. I don't need this Jesus thing in order to be a good person. That is all I need is just to be good. And that is simply not the case. You see, we are all in need of a Savior. And we were all at one point somebody who was in need of a Savior. We were at one point somebody who needed God to come and intervene in our lives, to come down out of heaven and into our darkness, into our mistakes, into our flaws, and save our lives. And you see, this morning, I'm not telling you to be obsessed with your past, to just dwell on all the mistakes you've made and the wrong things you've done. I'm not telling you just to spend all day, just focus on all the bad things you've done. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is this, remember who you once were and what God has done for you. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live, when you follow the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and its thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Look at all that. You were once dead in your transgressions and your sins. You used to follow the ways of the world. You used to do all of these things that you weren't supposed to do. You would gratify the cravings of your flesh. You would follow your desires and your thoughts. We would do all of these things. But then listen to verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Our story starts by remembering who we were without Jesus. And that is important to remember because of what comes next. Verse 6 in Acts 22, it says this, About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord, I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. Then you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. And so Paul here is going to go into what happened on that day as he's walking to Damascus and as he's going uh, to arrest these Christians. And a lot of what we read here is very similar to the first testimony we get in Acts chapter 9 when uh, Luke is telling the story. There's a couple of minor differences, though, that I think are really interesting. First of all, Paul tells us that it was about noon, and I really love that he does this because think about it, this bright light shines down on him while he's walking. Some people could say, it was just the sun. 
It was just the sun that was shining in your eyes. You were walking. It was bright. You heard somebody say something. It was just the sun. Well, Paul says it's about noon when the sun would be at its brightest. And he says, guess what? This light was even brighter a bright light from heaven. He knows what the sun looks like. He knows what sunshine in his eyes would look like. Paul's not stupid. He knows that this was not the sunshine. This was something brighter than the sunshine. And he sees this bright light and he falls to the ground. And it's the same similar message from Acts chapter 9. Jesus speaks to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you? I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. What shall I do, Lord? Well, get up and go into Damascus, and I'm going to tell you all the things that you've been assigned to do. And so in verse 12, he goes. It says, A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now what, you, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. And so he goes into Damascus and he meets this man named Ananias. And one of the major differences in what we get in Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 22 is really the way that Paul speaks about Ananias. Again, we mentioned earlier he is going to add a little Jewish flavor to this. And one of the ways that he's going to do that is he's going to talk about Ananias and the fact that Ananias was actually a Jew, Before he became a believer, he was a Jew, and he talks about the fact that he was a devout observer of the law. This man knew the law inside and out. He was a devout observer, just like the Jew. He was highly respected by all the Jews living there. And I think this is important that Paul mentions all this because I think he's trying to tell him there's not really that much of a gap between the two. There's not really that much of a gap when it comes to these two things. And so it's not really a shocker that a man like Ananias can convert to Christianity from being a Jew because he's doing a lot of the same things. He's an observer of the law. He is well-respected by the Jews. And so he really throws that in there to show, listen, guys, there's not really that much of a gap. There's one person that is in that gap. And so, uh, he, he shares with this, and this man, uh, Ananias, then he says to him, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth and that you will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. These words are, are very important that Ananias says here because these words clarify that Paul is an apostle, You know, there are still some people who believe that Paul wasn't really an apostle. He wasn't really an apostle. He was an apostle. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, he says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? 1 Corinthians 15, 8, And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. He wasn't there with the other apostles, but that doesn't mean he was an apostle because he has seen Jesus. He has heard from Jesus. He had this task from Jesus. He is an apostle. And these words really help clarify that. And then Ananias tells him, now what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. And we've talked about this a lot, a lot in the book of Acts. And you know, I've, I've shared my opinion here on, on baptism. I don't believe baptism is what is the saving act, but I do believe that according to Scripture, baptism is essential for all believers. Because I say that because when you read through the book of Acts, you see that belief was followed by baptism. 
Read through the book of Acts. Every single time you see somebody give their life to God, baptism is right there with it. There is no separation. There is no division. There is no, hey, you don't need to do this. It is right there. And he tells him the same thing. I believe Paul was already a believer by the time this happened, but I do believe this shows us how important baptism was to the church. I think Scripture tells us outside of that too, 1 Corinthians 6.11, and that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so this amazing thing happens on his way to snatch up believers and take them back into Jerusalem to have them arrested. We see Jesus intervene in this man's life. We see Jesus come into this man's life, and he tells him, guess what? You are going to go, and you are going to share with people everything you have seen and heard. If the first part of our testimony is remembering who we were, the second part of our testimony is this, who he is. Who he is. The first part of our story is who we were. The second part of our story is who he is. We serve a God who takes the worst of the worst, the worst of the offenders, the worst of the worst, the people that you would look at and you say, man, this person is not worthy. And he takes them and he says, you are irredeemable, or you are not irredeemable. You can be saved. You can be rescued. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter your past. You are not too far gone on for God to do something with. That's amazing to me. The God of, the, of heaven and earth, the God who put everything into existence, into its place, put it all together, he looks at us and he loves us so much that there is nothing that he wouldn't do to bring us back to him. And that includes sending his son to die for us. 1 Timothy Chapter 1, verse 15, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Man, Paul's words, he is so like, he, he's out there. He can, he, he's not a, a shut book, like he's an open book. He, anything you want to know, he will tell you. And he says it here, you know, Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. The great, one of the greatest Christian missionaries of all time, an apostle, can say so clearly, Jesus came into this world to save all of these sinners, including myself, and I am the worst of the worst. And if God can do that for me, what can he do for you? Titus 3.5, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. It's nothing that we can do. It's nothing that we can buy. It's nothing that we can work hard enough for. It's nothing like that. Nothing that we do can save us. It is only Jesus Christ who can save us. In 1 Timothy 2.4, when talking about rulers and authorities, he says, this is, they can be saved. This is the same God who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Our story starts by remembering who we were. The second part of our story continues by remembering who He is, a God who cares so much for us, a God who loves us so much that when we were so broken, so flawed, in the beginning when we let sin into the world, He started His plan of redemption and He brought it to fulfillment in His Son, Jesus Christ. And last week, we talked about the fact that Satan is a liar. He is the king of liars. He is the ultimate liar. And one of the greatest lies that he feeds to us every single day is that we are just not good enough. That we are not good enough, that we are not, being, or that we are not worthy of being saved, that we are not worthy of having redemption. Stop believing that. We have to stop believing that lie that Satan puts into us, that there is no hope for us, that, that God doesn't care about us, that there's no chance for redemption in our life, because we know that is not the case. And so, who we were and who he is, so what's next? In verse, or in verse 17, it says, when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. 
quick, he said, leave Jerusalem, Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr, Stephen, was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. This is absolutely astonishing. This is one of my favorite parts of this whole passage, and I'll tell you why. I love this so much. He goes to Jerusalem, and when he's in Jerusalem, he's in this trance, and, and you know, the Lord says to him, leave Jerusalem immediately because these people, they don't want to hear your testimony about me. And, and listen to what Paul says, Lord, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing me. And you might read that and you might think, okay, we already, knows that, or we already know that. He already knows that. So why are you repeating these things? I think the reason he's saying this is because he's telling the Lord, let me stay in Jerusalem and let these people see and remember who I was and they will see a changed man. They will see a different man than who did these things before. And so I want to stay here and I want people to see me and I want people to see what God has done in my life. I want people to see what you have done in my life. This man is so on fire for God that he is willing to stay in a place and die and suffer for his faith that he just became a believer not too long ago. And he's so on fire, he's like, let them see what you have done in my life. Let them see how you have changed my life. And Jesus tells him, no, go. I will send you far away to the Gentiles. As much as I love Paul's fiery desire to stay in Jerusalem, the Lord had a different plan for him in that moment. And we see, fast forward, he'll end up coming back to Jerusalem. And this will be the beginning, sadly, the beginning of the end for Paul. Because from Jerusalem, it's going to take him to Rome. And we know what's going to happen in Rome. But this was what he was called to do, to go to the Gentiles. And so now he has finished his address. And while he's still trying to talk, the crowd listened to Paul until... He said this, this is verse 22, it says, Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him. He is not fit to live. They really weren't going to hear what he had to say, were they? As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and interrogated in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. And as they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? Stop there for just a second because this is important. He, is, he gets to the point when he says, God was going to send me to the Gentiles and they lost it. The crowd didn't want to hear anything else after this. Remember, the Jews hated the Gentiles, and once he said Gentiles, he lost the crowd. He lost the audience. Nothing he said now was going to make any difference, and so now they start saying, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. They are frustrated at him, and so the commander now is like, what did this man do? Like, what did he do that was so horrible? And so he decides the best way to find out is we'll flog him and interrogate him to figure out why the people are so angry. There has to be something that he has done to make the people this upset. And so they go to flog him. And when it says flogged here, this was the same flogging that Jesus would have received and he's going to interrogate him, and as they stretch him out to flog him, Paul, being super smart and knowing what to do, asks them, hey, now wait a second, before you do this, isn't it, is it legal for you to do this to a Roman citizen? And then in verse 26, it says, when the centurion heard this, he went to the commander of his, or to report it. So what are you going to do, he asked, this man is a Roman citizen, and the commander went to Paul and asked, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. 
Then the commander said, I had to pay a lot of money for my citizenship, but I was born a citizen, Paul replied. Those who were about to interrogate him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. Gosh, I, I, this is what I love about the Apostle Paul. He knows all of these things. He is well-educated in all of these different backgrounds. And so, as he's getting ready to be flogged, he says, now wait a minute, is this legal for you to do this? Because technically, it was illegal for this to happen. It was against the law for a Roman citizen who has not been found guilty to be flogged. And so they know that if we flog this man, we are going to get in trouble for this. And so the commander asked him, hey, uh, are you really a Roman citizen? Yes, I am. And then he makes the comment, I had to pay a lot of money for my citizenship. Now, some people take this in, in one of two ways. They believe that when he says this, he was talking about the fact that, man, if anybody can become a Roman citizen now, then, you know, what's good in being a Roman citizen? But the more likely case here is simply the fact that he was able to buy his citizenship, during the reign of Emperor Claudius, the possibility was there that anybody could go and pay money to become a Roman citizen. You know, the emperors were smart. Hey, if we just let somebody buy Roman citizenship, that's extra money in my pocket. And so, sure, you want to be a Roman citizen? You can pay for that. But Paul tells him, no, I, wasn't, I didn't pay for being a citizen. I was born a Roman citizen. And so as they were about to, those who were about to interrogate him withdrew immediately. They knew what would happen if they did this. They weren't going to get in trouble for this. And so our testimony, again, who we were, who he is, and that brings us to the third thing that Paul, his testimony in Acts 22 reminds us of this morning, and that is this. It's how we respond it is how we respond. You see, this is the part of our testimony that we should actually still be living in right now. We remember who we were, we remember who He is, and now our story should continue from that point with how we respond. And you see, Paul was so on fire for God, he could not help but preach the gospel to ministers, to Jews and Greeks alike. He had this passion and this zeal to stay in Jerusalem when the Lord is calling him out to say, no, I want to stay. I want people to see what you've done in my life, and I want to tell them what you've done. Let me stay. No, you're, I want you to go to the Gentiles. And then he comes back. But everywhere he went, he had this passion and this zeal to serve, and that should be our same response. We should have the same passion and the same zeal that the Apostle Paul had. We should be so on fire for what God has done in our lives that we can't help but share with everybody what God has done. We, shouldn't, we should desire to share that. If God has changed your life this morning, if you have become a believer, you should want so badly to tell people what God has done in your life that no matter what, you just, it, it's coming out of, uh, uh, I tell Kay, I'm losing my hair because it's all this like wanting to pour out, no. But we should want so badly to share what God has done in our life. First Samuel 12, 24 tells us this, but be sure to fear the Lord and to serve Him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things He has done for you. And so, how do we do this? If this is the part of our story that we should be living out right now, that we should be so on fire to share Him, how can we do this? Well, let's go to the Scriptures, and let's start in the Old Testament. Proverbs 31, 8 through 9 tells us this, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, and plead for the case of the widow. If we truly have been saved, if we have truly given our lives to Him, then these things that we read from Proverbs and Isaiah should be things we care about. There should be things that we speak up about. 
the rights of those who are destitute, those who are in need, those who are poor and needy, those who can't defend themselves, those who are the widows. We need to speak up for them. That is one way that we can serve Him faithfully, and that's what we should want to do if we've given our life to Him. The New Testament now, 1 Corinthians seven seventeen. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. Just as God has called them, this is the rule I lay down in all the churches. You see, we respond by telling people what God has done, and one of the ways that we do that is when whatever situation you have been assigned to you, share with those around you what God has done in your life. You see, wherever you are at right now, in your life, wherever you have been placed, whatever you are doing, whatever your job, whatever your task that you are doing right now, wherever you are, that has been assigned to you. You are there for a reason. You are in the place you are in for a reason where you are at right now. And so in that moment, live as a believer Tell people what God has done in your life. Love on those people that you work with, that you go to school with, that you serve with. Love on those people. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 through 11. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Not only are you assigned to the place you are in right now, but you have been given a gift. And if you have been given a gift, you use that gift. If God has given you a gift of prayer, pray for people. If God has given you the ability to speak, speak to people. If God has given you the ability to teach, teach the people. If God has given you the ability to sing, he didn't give me that one, but he gave other people that one. If you have the ability to sing, sing for the Lord and and, and lead people in singing for the Lord. Whatever gift you have been given, use to serve him. But here is the point. We can't keep sitting on the sidelines. We can't keep sitting on the sidelines waiting to tell people what God has done in our lives. If you have given your life to Him, if you have put your faith in Him and you have put your trust in Him, if you have given Him all these things, your desire should be to make Him known to everybody. So what are we waiting for? And so our stories are all the same. They're all the same. Our details may be different. My details of my story may be different than the details of your story, different than the details of somebody else's story. But our story is the same. It starts with who we once were, dead in our sins, dead in our transgressions, in need of a Savior. And that's where God saves us. He brings His Son into this world to be our Savior. It's all about who He is. And now that we know who He is and what He has done for us, it it starts with where we respond, how we share with people what God has done for us. One of the passages we mentioned at the beginning was in Philippians chapter 3, and at the beginning of Philippians chapter 3, Paul begins this address by talking about his zeal, his, his credentials, the things that he has done, the things that he can boast about. But I want to go back to Philippians 3 in verse 7. And I want to read everything that Paul says after he talks about his credentials. Listen to what he says. He says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. 
Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What amazing words from the Apostle Paul. All the credentials, all the background, all the learning, all the law, all of these things that I know so well, all of the reasons I have to boast, let me tell you, none of these things mean anything to me compared to knowing Jesus Christ. And not just knowing Jesus Christ, but I want to serve Him. I want to know Him fully. And if that means I get beat, I get beat. If that means I get flogged, I get flogged. If I die, I die. Whatever happens, I want to know Jesus fully. And whatever happens, I want to follow Him no matter what. And everything I do is me looking forward ahead to heaven, knowing that that is where I am destined for. What an amazing testimony in the life of the Apostle Paul. And our story is the same. Paul realized who he was, but he realized that what he was doing and the zeal that he had, it meant nothing compared to actually knowing Jesus Christ. And it was all about what God would do for him. And it's about what God can do for us this morning, what God has already done for us this morning. God has sent His Son to die for us, to be, our, our, to be an atonement for our sin. He has done so much for us. He loves us so much that He would do whatever it takes to bring us back to Him. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and as they do, this morning... Maybe you're looking at the story of your life in connection with the story of Paul, and maybe you are stuck on the first part of who you were. Maybe this morning you're stuck on the things that you've done. You're stuck on your past. You're stuck on your mistakes. You're stuck on the flaws that you've, that you've had in your life. You are stuck on the lies that Satan is trying to get you to believe about yourself. Maybe you are stuck on the who you were. Well, this morning I pray if that's the case, you would move to the next part and know who he is there is nothing about you that is irredeemable. There is nothing about your past that God can't come in and fix. But you have to let him do it. You have to stop believing the lies that Satan tells you, that you are no good, that you are worthless, that there is nothing good about you. You have to stop believing those lies. Maybe this morning you're here and you've just gotten caught up in things and you've given your, your life to him and you put your faith in him and yet you're just starting to believe the lies yourself or, or maybe you're starting to, man, I, I know what he's done for me, but I haven't been propelled to, to share, to tell people what he has done. And maybe this morning you just need to spend time reconnecting with God, spending time in prayer. If that's the case, if you want to pray where you're sitting, if you want to pray with me, I'd love to pray with you. Our elders would love to pray with you. Or maybe this morning it's time that you think about who he is and you give your life to him. And if you have a decision to make, if you can come up here and talk with me, there's connection cards in the chairs around you. But you see, it doesn't matter who you are, your background, where you're from. Our stories are all the same and our stories today should continue by telling people what God has done for us, what God has done for you with your co-workers, with your classmates, with your family members around you. Make sure that people know what God has done for you. Just as Paul was saying, hey, all the things I've done, none of these things matter compared to knowing Jesus Christ. We should have that same desire to make Jesus known. And so this morning, if you have a decision to make, if you need to pray, or pray, I pray that you would do so as we stand and we sing.